0: Our scripture reading this evening is Colossians 1, beginning at verse 24, and reading through chapter 2, verse 5. So Colossians 1, beginning at verse 24, and our text is the the verses in chapter 2, 1 through 5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So last week in the evening, we looked at the first, at the last few verses of Colossians chapter one. And we saw there how enthusiastic and passionate Paul was about getting the truth of the gospel to the churches for their growth toward maturity in Christ. And as we examined Paul's words in that part of his letter to the Colossians, <clears throat> We considered different perspectives on the gospel that Paul mentions along the way. He wanted the Colossians to be as excited as he was about the gospel and to see its importance for their lives as clearly as he saw that importance for them. And that is God's goal for us as well in those verses because this is God's word. This is one of the greatest needs in our lives, to value the gospel and the life that flows from it as we ought, to see with greater clarity that our true and eternal well-being is tied to this good news of Jesus Christ, both in terms of believing it for the first time and also in living the lives that the gospel of Jesus is calling us and enabling us to live. So much of our true well-being is related to how much we value our relationship with God, what God has done in Christ for our salvation, and the riches of the life that Christ through his Spirit enables us to live. What is truly good in our lives has to do with our growth towards maturity in Christ. And Paul's great passion in this passage is intended to be contagious so that we learn what he is so eager to teach with a similar appreciation of its value. This thought applies equally to the verses we're going to look at this evening. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The overall perspective is the same as the paragraph immediately proceeding. The background are false teachers. In the background are false teachers. They come a little more into the foreground in this section because in verse 4 chapter 2 Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So there were people in the neighborhood seeking to delude the Colossians with plausible arguments and Paul is warning against these teachers of Error and falsehoods. but The main way he is countering them, at least in this part of the epistle, is by reiterating the richness and the sufficiency of the gospel that had come to the Colossians under Paul's authority. The Colossians had been converted through the preaching of Epaphras, but Epaphras had learned the gospel from Paul, and Paul has endorsed Epaphras as a faithful teacher of the true gospel. So the overall purpose of these verses we're going to look at this evening is really the same as that of the verses that we looked at last week, but these verses mention different things. They bring before us different aspects of the glorious gospel that Paul was so eager that the Colossians learn more deeply instead of getting off track by being influenced by those who were teaching things that were not in harmony with the message that Paul had received from God to preach and teach to the world and to the church. So in Paul in verse 1, Paul mentions how much effort he has put into seeking their spiritual well-being and growth. He says, "...for I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face." And this thought about struggle is a continuation of the thought of the last verse of chapter 1, where Paul had written, For this I toil, struggling with all his Christ's energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul wants the Colossians to know how seriously he was taking their spiritual well-being, how much effort he was putting into it. part of that struggle was probably in prayer. In chapter 4, verse 12 of this same epistle, Paul uses the language of struggle to refer to the prayers of Epaphras for them. He says there, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That verse helps us to see what Paul is talking about when he says that he wants the Colossians to know about his struggle, his struggles for them. He's struggling for them in his prayer. But no doubt writing this letter was also a struggle. For the spiritual well-being of the Colossians, a letter of this depth and profundity was not something that could be produced without a great deal of effort. It represents intense spiritual and intellectual effort, both in Paul coming to his understanding of these great truths in the first place, and then expressing them on paper in such a compact and soul-stirring way. Paul's letters are recorded in the Bible, and they have been studied by the theologians of the church as well as regular church members for almost 2,000 years. And there is so much in them that the deepest thinkers of the church are still growing in their understanding of them. Of course, an important part of the reason for that is that God himself is the ultimate author of Paul's letters that are included in the scriptures. And he, God, had revealed these truths to Paul. But God's way of doing that was through Paul's own thinking and pondering and formulating in the light of the Old Testament scriptures and in the light of the teachings of Jesus. And so what we have before us in this letter to the Colossians is the product of intense thinking, of intense effort in writing. So we can think of Paul's prayers and Paul's theologizing and Paul's literary work as aspects of his great struggle for the Colossians. Paul here is a a great example for all church leaders in his great effort for the spiritual growth of the people of God entrusted to his care. And by extension, his example is a call to all of us to be willing to struggle for the spiritual growth of others, including parents for the spiritual growth of their children. This whole matter is so important, so vital for the well-being of others. That great struggle in prayer and teaching in any other way is most appropriate. But if we think about how this letter is addressed to the Colossians and the response that Paul is aiming at in these verses, in them, it's clear that he is telling the Colossians about his great struggle for them so that they will see how important what he is teaching them is and how dangerous It is to be influenced by the false teaching. Paul speaks about his struggle for them so that they will sense that what he's teaching them and what he's aiming for in their lives is of the greatest possible importance. And this powerfully affirms the importance of knowing and sticking to the truth of the Word of God. It emphasizes how vital it is for our spiritual well-being and growth to know the gospel message that the Bible, as the Bible teaches it and not to be swayed by any teaching that does not conform to biblical teaching. Paul is struggling in prayer and in, and in teaching and his great concern was that the Colossians might grow in their faith and in their life through embracing his teaching and rejecting any teaching that contradicted or distorted it. And this great concern must translate into great concern on our part to hold to the truth of God's word and to grow in our faith and in our life by means of feeding on that word. So what does Paul want to see happening in the Colossians and the others that he's writing to that warrant such a struggle on his part? Verse 2 says, "...that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ." So Paul is laboring in prayer and in study and in writing and getting reports from the churches and responding to them so that the hearts of believers might be encouraged. It's the first thing that he says. And the encouragement that he is speaking about is encouragement in the gospel, encouragement in Christ. Now, oh, is that not a wonderful thing? It's very important for Paul that believers are encouraged and not discouraged. It's so important for him that he exerts great effort in ministry, that the believers he is serving will be encouraged. This is one of the key things that he's seeking in his preaching and in his teaching and in his prayers. And the implication is being healthy, being healthy as a Christian includes being encouraged. This points to the nature of the relationship between God and his people. It's a relationship of love and acceptance through Christ. And the great motivator for growing in all the ways that God is calling us to grow is love. And so an inner desire to please God. It's true that there there are warnings in the message. But the most important motivator to strive toward maturity in Christ is not fear but the positive thoughts and feelings of love and hope and seeing the goodness of the life that Jesus is enabling us and calling us to lead. Much of the gospel message is designed to encourage us, and Paul was willing to struggle greatly for the Colossians that their hearts might be encouraged. It's a wonderful thing to feel encouraged. It's an awful thing to feel discouraged. If we are encouraged, we face the day and any task with hope and enthusiasm. We're motivated by an inner desire to do the tasks that lie before us. If we are discouraged, we are lethargic, having to push ourselves to do anything. Discouragement saps our energy. Encouragement is energizing. And Paul is saying here that he really wants the truth of the gospel that he is bringing to the Colossians to encourage their hearts so that they will lean into the life that God is calling them to live with the energy of hope. The gospel in the Christian life is intended to change us through the power of a positive attitude toward God and his calling on our lives. The truth of what Jesus has done for us, the blessings that flow from that, that is the best possible news. Our our sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus. We're empowered to turn from our sins and grow toward maturity in Christ. We live in God's favor and acceptance and love even though we are weak and so much sin remains in us, we have been given to see that the life that we are called to live is rich and satisfying and right and good. It's hard and there is struggle involved, but there is hope because of the life of Christ in us through his Spirit and because the promise of fullness of life forever in the presence of God beyond this life. It's a glorious thing that God in the gospel seeks to encourage us so that his way of change for us is through being encouraged much more than it is by fear. One of the things that Paul's point here teaches us is the importance of the gospel we're dealing with the spiritual and psychological struggles that we face. It's true that these struggles can sometimes be exceedingly complex and difficult to understand and unravel. It's also true that sometimes there is a physical component to them. I'm not suggesting that the gospel will quickly and easily make all our spiritual and psychological struggles go away. However, the gospel is at the very heart of spiritual and psychological health, and it must be at the heart of any counseling that is designed to help us with our mental psychological struggles. Most of our mental struggles result from things like disappointment, or they result in discouragement and downheartedness and depression. And most, if not all, counseling is seeking to bring encouragement so that life is viewed with hope and enthusiasm. And from the way that Paul speaks about encouragement in these verses, it's clear that the good news of salvation in Christ is the ultimate source of mental health and psychological well-being. There is room and there is necessity in the world of counseling for training and for expertise in untangling the complex issues that sometimes lead to psychological pain and suffering. But the gospel message must be at the heart of that. The good news of salvation in Christ is at the heart of being encouraged to face life with hope and enthusiasm rather than discouragement and despair. And thankfully we have many resources available to us that reflect this biblical emphasis. Now, as we continue working our way through our text, through this text, we see next that there is a close relationship between encouragement in the gospel and the loving relationships that are to characterize the church. Paul tells the Colossians that he is struggling for them that, quote, their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. The way that these two phrases fit together indicates a close connection. Between hearts being encouraged in the gospel and Christians being knit together in love. Human beings are designed for relationships. The gospel is about restoring relationships, first between us and God, but then also between people and especially believers. And those relationships are the foundation of our hearts being encouraged. The church being knit together in love is an important part of the way that our hearts are encouraged in the gospel. To be encouraged, we need to live in the light of God's love for us, but also we need to live in a community of love, which is the church. The gospel leads to fullness of life because it restores our relationship with God and it provides us with a loving community where we belong, where we love and are loved. And we need both. Fullness of life in the gospel requires that we love others as well as being loved by others. The life that God is calling and enabling us to live through salvation in Jesus is a life in which we are willing to give of ourselves to bless others. And it is a life where we experience love and belonging through being embraced and served by our fellow believers in the church. And that's the picture that Paul is drawing for us here when he speaks of his great struggle for the Colossians and others that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. And it shows us the importance it shows us how important love is in the church is for our spiritual well-being it shows us how the life that the gospel is intended to produce is a life of connectedness with our fellow believers in the church and paul's words here show how important it is to have loving relationships with other believers so that the phrase knit together in love describes our experience in the life of the church. One of the great changes that God intends salvation in Christ to make in our lives is the rejection of a self-centered life and the embrace of a life of caring for others. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 is a wonderful expression of this idea. Paul writes there, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he goes on to say in that passage, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So being knit together in love is part of what it means to be growing towards Christ likeness. But Paul isn't done yet with his sentence, and thus with the point he is making, he has told them of his great struggle for for the Colossians, for others in the church, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And then he continues <clears throat> to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So hearts being encouraged and being knit together in love is related to the Colossians reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. These things go together. They all belong to the fruit of salvation in Christ. They all belong to what Paul was struggling for, for the Colossians and for the rest of the church. Paul is eager that the Colossians are encouraged in the gospel, that they are knit together in love, to reach this full assurance of understanding of Christ. The language here helps us to understand and sense how precious this is. What a wonderful phrase. Paul is talking about riches, the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge which is in Christ. Remember that the context has to do with the Colossians being influenced by false teaching, and so Paul is concerned about the Colossians losing assurance in the Christ-centered gospel that he is teaching them. To have full assurance of understanding and knowledge of Christ is riches, Paul is saying. This is a great blessing, this is a great treasure, to be fully confident of the biblical teaching about Christ, to have understanding and knowledge of Christ with full assurance is the greatest possible riches and that is what paul wants so passionately for the colossians he's willing to struggle greatly in prayer and in teaching so that they might reach the reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding which is Christ and then he continues in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's a very profound statement. We can only touch on what it means at this point. Wisdom and knowledge are treasures. Wisdom and knowledge belong to being human and to the rich experience of human life. Everything good about life is in some way related to wisdom and knowledge. And true goodness and blessedness is rooted in true knowledge. The truth about God and creation and sin and salvation and Christ and the meaning of life. A fundamental teaching of the Bible is that a life that is not rooted and shaped by God's truth is hopeless and empty and subhuman. One of the great truths that Jesus teaches us about himself is that he is the light of the world and that those who follow him are walking in the light, while others who don't follow him are walking in darkness. All true wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ. Wisdom has to do with living life skillfully. Knowledge has to do with thinking the truth about life. Apart from wisdom and knowledge, life is dark and futile. And, Christ, and Paul is saying that Christ, that all the wisdom, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And this is because Jesus is the creator God who knows all things. If Jesus knows all things, if he is the source of all knowledge, every bit of knowledge and wisdom that human beings possess comes from Christ. And that's true whether they acknowledge it or not. Those who accept the worldview of scientific naturalism, they think that the world is just there and that um, humans are the product of chance and that human knowledge comes from human thinking and learning and observing... But the reality is that their minds come from Christ. The rest of the creation comes from Christ. The knowledge that they are learning is simply following the knowledge of Christ. What they don't get from Christ is the error that is mixed with their knowledge. And that error means that all of their knowledge is faulty Any claim to knowledge that is not rooted in Christ is faulty and therefore missing what is most important. The knowledge that is rooted in Christ is true all the way down because it acknowledges as its most important point that creation is God's creation. The existence of the God of the Bible, the fact that he is the creator of all, is the absolute foundation of true truth, as some Christian thinkers like to put it. Those who reject God have been able to find out a lot about the world, but by rejecting God, they are automatically absolutely wrong as to the meaning of things, as to the significance of things of the whole creation. The knowledge that accepts that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ is true all the way down because it rests on the ultimate reality, which is God himself. And so it sees everything else in the light of God in Christ, and so it sees how the creation reflects the glory of God and how the good life for human beings Is life in fellowship with God lived for the glory of God? Now, in the context, when Paul teaches about, speaks about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ, he's talking about the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But the gospel is about everything. The good news of salvation in Christ is the good news about being reconciled to God and living life for God. It is the good news of the kingdom of God. And that good news includes everything. The whole picture, the whole biblical worldview. It's about where we came from and why we are here and where we are going. It's about what is right and what is wrong. It's about what is good and what is evil. It's about what is beautiful. And what is ugly and so it is about living life as it was meant to be lived it's about human well-being and flourishing because true human well-being and flourishing is life in fellowship with God in Christ which is also a life of love and fellowship with God's people which is also a life of becoming more like Christ all of that is hidden in Christ, And Paul is so anxious that the Colossians enter more deeply into it because it is so good for them and it honors God. And false teaching is destructive of that goodness and God-honoring well-being. In verse 4 he says, I say this, so everything he's been saying, I say this, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Any teaching that veers from the truth that Paul taught is dangerous and destructive. That's why Paul is so anxious that the Colossians stick to the gospel that they have heard and that they constantly learn it and embrace it more fully. This is a massive emphasis throughout the bible the full truth of god as revealed in the bible is vital to our well-being an error and false teaching anything that contradicts biblical teaching is deadly it is because of this biblical emphasis that we have confessions of faith and we take them seriously our confessions represent The careful study of the Bible by a large number of godly theologians and they've been examined by generations of believers confirming generation after generation that they are an accurate summary of the teaching of the Word of God. And all of that is simply a reflection of the great emphasis that Paul And the other biblical writers place on not veering or drifting away from the teaching that God has revealed to the church through them. And then Paul ends on a positive note. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As we have seen before, the way that Paul addresses the congregations to whom he is writing is very encouraging. It's only in his letter to the Galatians that he is little positive to say because of the the extent to which the denial of the gospel had taken root in that congregation. But usually he can be positive and encouraging even when there are problems in the congregation as there always are. And here he is reflecting his Savior, who is patient and long-suffering and encouraging to his people. Love is willing to rebuke when rebuke is necessary, but love is eager to acknowledge what is good and quick to speak of it. In Christ, God is well-pleased with his people, and he delights in seeing his own work in the lives of his people. So what Paul says here to the Colossians, he would say to any congregation that was faithful in seeking to confess and live out the biblical gospel, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the God of the gospel, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we have seen and sensed something of Paul's great passion for the gospel and for its embrace and implementation in the lives of the people of God. And we have seen that behind that, that urgency and that uh, passion is the reality that that gospel is so good for us. So important for our growth, for our true well-being, for our living life that is pleasing to you and fulfilling for us. Lord, we pray that something of his passion may strike us and the reason for it, that we may embrace the great treasure of the glorious gospel, a gospel that encourages us, a gospel that knits us together in love, a gospel that helps us to grow in the riches of the knowledge of Christ, of the mystery of Christ, and Lord, there's so much in that, uh, so much uh, fullness of life, and we pray that we may imbibe these these uh, thoughts and these feelings that Paul is projecting, and that we may live with them and according to them as we treasure your truth and the life you are calling us to live. We pray that you would hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.